My name is Nelson, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the pastors of the Artisan Community, and uh, thank you for this, this privilege of being with you this afternoon. Um, just thinking back to the video a couple of moments ago, this was created two, two Christmases ago, I believe, when our children got together at uh, the home of the Odegaards, and uh, that's kind of what happened. We brought a camera person along, and he worked his magic to edit everything together. Was that fun watching yourselves up there, Eva? Anders? Elijah? Yeah? So for the last two years, we've just found any excuse we can to show this thing, because it's just <laughs> magical and beautiful. And there's been some discussion about maybe it's time for a new one, so next year, you know, that kind of thing. So we'll uh, see about that. Well, as I mentioned, it's just a joy and an honor to uh, be with you this afternoon to celebrate uh, the birth of Christ together. Thank you to Alistair, to Mike, to the leadership team at, um, at St. Peter's Fireside for inviting us to join you this afternoon. We look forward to skating as well and uh, just the whole thing. So I remember exactly a year ago speaking at our Artisan Christmas Eve gathering, looking around at everyone, just even seeing faces here now that are familiar to me and thinking of the many moments of delight and of hope and of struggle, uh, and feeling that the artisan church community, then just over three years old, was just becoming more of a family. And you know, helping each other move, babysit, make meals for people having babies, or for people that are just going through a rough time. Praying for healing, sharing dark, difficult, personal chapters of our journeys. Actually being brothers and sisters to and for one another. And it struck me then, and even more so now, how crucial it is for the church to be family, both for our own internal health as a community of faith, and also as we seek to bear witness in our city to the ways that Christ is being formed in us. And even the artisan family, uh, now as we reflect on four years as a church plant, it's so cool to see St. Peter's Fireside. is happening. It's here. It's now. You're being rooted and established in love. Worshiping together, gathering, proclaiming, and living the story of God in downtown Vancouver. So, just so exciting that St. Peter's is happening. We join you in celebrating your birth and your life as a community. So, it's a delight to join with you as we join God together in the renewal of our city. Our text tonight, as we've heard, uh, is the story of the birth of Christ as told in Luke's Gospel. And it's one that we've heard many times. And yet the fact that people are still paying attention to it at all in these days is actually kind of remarkable. In our current cultural moment, this story tends to be drowned out by many things. Commercialism, the bangles, baubles, and beads, right? Cynicism, sentimentality, political correctness, whatever it happens to be. But the story just keeps hanging around. And the fact that it remains as familiar as it is is sort of amazing to me. And I'm not the only one. I like what Frederick Buechner and Madeleine L'Engle wrote about this. They said, the claim that Christianity makes for Christmas is that at a particular time and place, the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity came to be with us himself. When Quirinius was governor of Syria, in a town called Bethlehem, a child was born who, beyond the power of anyone to account for, was the high and lofty one made low and helpless. The one whom none can look upon and live is delivered in a stable under the soft, indifferent gaze of cattle. The Father of all mercies puts himself at our mercy. And year after year, the ancient tale of what happened is told. Raw, preposterous, holy. And year after year, the world, in some measure, stops to listen. Even if the only time we hear it is from this little guy, 
unadorned, unimpressive, security blanket at his side. No special effects. Actually, that's not true. Before he starts his story, he goes, lights, please. About as crazy as it gets. In any case, Beigner and Langle's words ring true. Despite our best attempts to dismiss it, at some level, we are still paying attention to the story. Why? Could it be that it's because it's actually one of the best stories we know? And if that's true, should we believe the hype? What's behind it? So we're going to look closer just for a few minutes here at this text. Luke begins by framing the political situation. Rome is clearly in charge. And Caesar says, well, it's time to count everybody, so I know what's coming to me via taxes. There was no internet, remember? So people actually physically had to move to their, get back to their hometowns to register, to be counted among the people. So Joseph, together with Mary, the woman pledged to be married to him, who was also quite pregnant, they returned together to the town of Bethlehem, Joseph's hometown. And while they were there, the time eventually came for her son to be born. And as the story goes, he was wrapped in cloths and laid in a manger. Luke tells the story with such an economy of words. A lot happens in just a few verses, and a lot more time passes than we realize. And then the story takes a somewhat surprising turn. Meanwhile, shepherds was one of the captions in the video. And that's what I think about when, when, this, when this shift kind of takes place. The first people to hear the message of the birth of Jesus were shepherds a people group who were close to the bottom of the social scale in their society. It's interesting to compare how things went down during the first Christmas with how we do birth announcements today. Alistair and Julia, for obvious reasons, shared many pictures of their beautiful firstborn daughter, Ansley. I mean, look at this family. I checked this morning on Facebook, there's 85 likes for this picture. Anyone else got something like 85 likes right now? Probably not. Um, yeah, just wait till after our gathering here. Now that I've mentioned it, pretty sure it's going to blow Facebook up. Maybe we'll get to 100. Um, when Princess of Wales, Diana, gave birth to Prince Henry Charles Albert David, also known as Harry, it's reported that a town crier dressed in bright costume and plumes rang a huge bell and declared, Her Royal Highness, the Princess Diana, has issued forth a second son. Is that how childbirth feels, ladies? Just issuing forth? Not a big deal. Um, outside St. Mary's Hospital in Paddington, London, over 300 news reporters and photographers jockeyed to get a scoop. There were two 41-gun military salutes. A child third in line for the royal throne was born. Little Harry made international news. Well, Jesus did have a rather impressive entourage, when you think of it, an army of singing angels. But the thing that makes it different is they didn't sing to Herod or Caiaphas or Pilate or any of the powerful, influential people of the day. Now, whether it's babies being born, whether we've landed a new job, we've moved into a new condo, it makes perfect sense that we would announce good news to people that we know, people who are going to care, people who matter to us, who we love, and who love us. What makes a lot less sense, to our minds anyway, is that God chose to send the first birth announcement to a powerless, ragtag band of shepherds. Shepherds in first century Palestine were seen as the bottom of the barrel, the dregs of society. They were poor. Rabbinic traditions labeled them as unclean. They were considered to be on the same level, wrote one writer, as pickpockets, con artists, and liars. 
Shepherds were not classy or spiffy. Shepherds were basic, basic humanity. Shepherds were people in the raw. They probably talked about and cursed kings, particularly Herod. They would never dream of being invited to the royal court. But it was such, to such as these that the message first went out. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So the angels urged these ones, go, find your king. What a strange twist that we have to trust the word of the shepherds regarding the angels. And by the way, the word of shepherds was not even valid in court in first century Judaism. And so, as the rest of the story goes, the shepherds hurry off to find and to worship their king. A few years later, it's a group of rich pagan astrologers, the Magi, who come to visit Mary and Joseph and Jesus. They followed a star for miles in order to find him. In fact, they ask right in the middle of King Herod's palace, courtyard, where is the one who is born king of the Jews? And when they found Jesus, they worshipped him by giving him priceless gifts. What is the God of the universe doing hanging out with rural riffraff and zodiac worshippers? What kind of story is this Christmas story? Familiar as we may think it is, are we really hearing it for what it is? When we frame it as we have today, even in these brief moments, it can be really tempting to just cast it aside. It's crazy. It's wishful thinking. But that's not as easy as we think. Beekner and Laengel, one more time. More than anything else, perhaps, to dismiss this particular birth would be to dismiss the quality of life that has given birth to an, an astonishing variety of people over an astonishing period of time. There have been medieval peasants and 18th century aristocrats, 19th century spinsters and 20th century dropouts. There have been wise ones and simple ones, sophisticated ones and crude ones, respectable ones and disreputable ones. The man behind the meat counter, the woman who scrubs the floors at Roosevelt Memorial, the high school math teacher who explains fractions to the bewildered child. They need not be mystics or saints or even unusually religious in any formal institutional sense. But somewhere along the line, something deep in them split starwise, and they became not simply followers of Christ, but bearers of his life. A birth of grace and truth took place within them, scarcely less miraculous in its way than the one the Magi traveled all those miles to kneel before. What keeps the wild hope of Christmas alive year after year in a world notorious for dashing all hopes is the haunting dream that the child who was born that day may yet be born again, even in us. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. We need this story precisely because it comes to each of us as we are in the middle of our bleak midwinters, into the center of our regrets, into the core of our shame, our egos, our insignificance, our inadequacy, our, our noisy, busy clamoring after acceptance or after power, 
in the dark of night, while we're still clutching our security blankets, the angels seek us out in the flow of our very mundane, ordinary lives. And they come right up to us, us, and say, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. I like to think that the way the angel choir brings glory to God is by pointing to us and saying, lights please, right here, this one. And them, and them, and this family, them too. Lights please. The shepherds were welcome at the manger. The unclean were judged to be clean. The outcasts became honored guests. The song of angels was sung to the simplest and the humblest of all and the royal family welcomed pagan outsiders. This is the good news of Christmas, that the word who became flesh continues to come and to dwell among us. Through no effort of our own, the life of God, through the grace offered by Christ's life and death and resurrection, can be born anew in our very human, dirty, unswept, unvacuumed, unsanitized souls. The ones nobody notices and the ones that everyone pays too much attention to. The whole spectrum. This is the good news. That Emmanuel finds us in our darkness. There's no need to clean up first. And he brings his light to us as we are. There's an article I read yesterday that ended so beautifully that I just need to conclude in the same way. The riffraff line starts behind me. Come, let's worship our king.